Tonight I'd like for us to think about Daniel. Daniel was one of the great prophets, called them one of the major prophets. Daniel lived at the time when Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon, and Babylon was the world empire. In fact, they're the ones who came and carried Daniel off with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and a number of other captives, and carried them over to, um, to Babylon, made them prisoners. Nebuchadnezzar had this dream. You've heard about it. He saw this gray image, a head of gold, chest and arms of silver, the belly and thighs of brass, the legs were of iron, and the feet were of iron and clay. Babylon was represented by the head of gold. Nebuchadnezzar was the king, and he was said to be the greatest king. He was the one who followed him. The Medes and the Persians were inferior to him. Then there was Alexander the Great in his empire, followed by the Roman Empire. And it was during that time that Jesus established the kingdom, his kingdom, that surpassed all of them. Well, during Jehoiakim's time, it was his third year, he began when his father Josiah died in 609, that would be about 606 B.C. They were carried off into Babylonian captivity. There were three captives, it was 606, 597, and then 587, 586. When the temple was finally destroyed, Jerusalem and the rest were carried off. But they were carried off for a period of 70 years. That's a long, long time. God tells us why 70 years. And let me just read the explanation. This is found in 2 Chronicles, the last chapter, chapter 36. And I'll read beginning at verse 17, down through 21. Therefore he, that is God, brought upon them, the Israelites, the king of the Chaldeans. Notice, God brought the king of the Chaldeans upon them. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. Who slew their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, that'd be the temple, and had no compassion upon young men or virgin, old man or hoary-headed. He gave them all into his hand. God gave his people into their hand. And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of Jehovah at Solomon's temple, and the treasures of the king and of his princes, and these he brought to Babylon. And they burnt the house of God, the temple, and break down the wall of Jerusalem, and burnt all the places thereof with fire, and destroyed all the goodly vessels thereof. And them that had escaped from the sword carried he away to Babylon as prisoners. And they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia, who succeeded Babylon, to build the word, yes, to fulfill the word of Jehovah by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths for as long as it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill threescore and ten years. That's seventy, is it not? 
The Israelites had disobeyed God in many ways. They'd been rebellious. They'd worshipped idols. But one thing he points out here is that they not kept the Sabbaths. Talking about the seventh year Sabbath. They had, of course, the Sabbath day, the seventh day every week, and they may not have kept that so well. But he's talking about the seventh year Sabbath. They had not kept that. Every seven years, they were not to do anything, not to plant anything, not to harvest anything, though they could eat off the land. And God, in his providence, would take care of them. But that's the problem. They, they neglected and didn't think of God's providence, that he'd take care of them. So they just went ahead and plowed and sowed and, and harvested, not caring about what God provided. 490 years. Every 70 years. You multiply that times 70, you get 490 years. Well, that'd take you back to the time of the judges. We don't know when they first really started neglecting that, but God required 70 years for every seven years. That's 490 years when they had neglected those weekly, I mean those seven-year Sabbaths. Was there no faith in God's providence? To show God's dominion over the earth? Well, to them, God seemed to be indifferent to their disobedience. It appeared as though God were just winking at their sins. Today, many ignore the authority of the Lord. Suppose that he will never assert himself. But if we could ask Nadab and Abihu, what they think about that? They were priests, young priests, just beginning their priesthood, sons of Aaron. Their responsibility was to take the incense, put fire upon it, and go and offer it in the temple or the tabernacle then. But they had disobeyed God. They had offered strange fire. That means unlawful fire. You find that word used elsewhere for unlawful. That which God had not commanded them, which tells us that God required just the things that he authorizes. He didn't authorize this fire. It was unlawful. Not because he said, thou shalt not. He said, thou shalt. And they disobeyed that. They did that which God had not commanded them. Disobeying the Lord's authority. You think about Jericho. We mentioned him, or <laughs> mentioned Jericho this morning. When Joshua's time, they marched around the city 13 different times, and then God caused the city to collapse in its walls. It was at that time that Joshua, the leader who took Moses' place, said that whoever rebuilds Jericho will lay the foundation at the death of his firstborn, put up the gates at the death of his youngest son. 550 years later, a man by the name of Hiel, H-I-E-L, laid the foundation and he lost his first son, his the oldest son of Byron. Later on, he kept on working, put up the gates, and he lost his youngest son, Segub, 550 years later. Joshua's word was a covenant they'd made with God, and God remembered it. God kept it. Well, we find a number of different ways God's authority is ignored today in the religious world. 
When they turn back to the Old Testament for authority, it's not there. We're living under the New Testament. If you heard Brother uh, MacLean this morning, he made that very good. Last Sunday, he did the same. And did you notice that, uh, this is a little sidetrack, <laughs> that they've got Byron's name on the list now? They had it last week, and for, for months we were going without it, and finally it came through. It may have been in the week before, but they had a problem with the film at the television station. So I'm mentioning that because Mac Lyon is talking about how we should study the Word of God. But look at the idolatry. They learn their lesson. When they came back from Babylonian captivity, they were no longer idolatrous. That was one of the causes they were carried off. They learned their lesson. Jehovah was the only one true God, and he only was the one that they would worship. They learned about idolatry. The book of Daniel shows the sovereignty of God anywhere, any place, any time. Nebuchadnezzar, he didn't seize Jerusalem. God gave it to him. God gave the king, put it into his hands. We read that in the first chapter in verse 2. He just turned, turned them over. And I've wondered if maybe the ABC or NBC or CBS or Fox or INN had their teams at that time given us a lowdown on what was happening to the attack of Babylon against the city. And it went on for a few years. They had probably told about how the superior forces of the Chaldeans had overcome how Jerusalem had been beleaguered and, you know, give us a day-by-day, hour-by-hour insight. Not thinking a bit about God. And that God is behind every step, everything that was happening. The sovereignty of God is just so plain in the book of Daniel. For example, or examples, chapter 1 and verse 9, God causes Daniel to be favored. God caused him to be favored. Remember I mentioned Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They were favored because God brought that about. He was going to use them helping the, the king do what was right. Chapter 1, verse 17. God gave them knowledge. He gave them skill. He gave them wisdom so that they could be counselors for the king after their years of preparation. The complete sovereignty is illustrated in the first six chapters of Daniel. By incidents in which the the decrees of the heathen kings are annulled by the Lord, for example. Chapter 1 and verse 5 says that the king decided on the diet. That he wanted these young men who were captives to be prepared, to be trained, to counseling. He decided what they were to eat and what they were to drink. God changed that using Daniel. We find the king's decree to slay all the wise men. He had this image that we just talked about, you know, the head all the way down. He asked his wise men, well, you know, really I've forgotten what my dream was, and I'd like for you to tell me what I dreamed and what it means. (laughs) He was impressed by it, but he couldn't remember a thing about it. And if you can't tell me, the king said, I'm going to have all the wise men put to death. 
slain. Well, when word reached Daniel, Daniel went to the king and said, Give me a little time and I'll tell you what it meant. I'll tell you what the dream was and I'll tell you what its meaning was. So here was the king saying, They're going to all die. That was changed by God. When we turn over to chapter 3, here we find another image that Nebuchadnezzar had erected and everybody was to fall down and worship this image. Well, there were three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, no, sir, we're not going to fall down and worship any image. The threat was that they would be cast into a furnace of fire, and we know they were, were they not? But let me uh, read you how they respond to the king's threat. Chapter 3, I'll start at verse 15. And if I can find, there we are. Now, if ye be ready that at what time, the king's talking to these three men, ye hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, and the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made. Well, but if ye worship not, ye shall be cast into the cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? He's going to find out, isn't he? Well, verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered, and I, I, I appreciate what they had to say. They said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Well, the king said, all right. They will throw him in the furnace of fire. Well, they did that. You know what the outcome was. Look at verse 37. I think it's, no. 28. And then, you know, they came out. There was a fourth one in there. It looked like an angel. They came out. Didn't even smell like smoke. And here's the way the king responded to that. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, he said, What God's going to deliver you from that furnace of fire? Now he's saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and have yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. The sovereignty of God. What about the arrogance of Nebuchadnezzar? You remember God said, I'm going to send you out in the fields, that you live like the animals, eat like the animals, you're going to have nails grow like the animals and things like that? Until, he says, until you come to be aware of the fact that I am God. Let me read a few verses. This is in chapter 4, and we'll start with verse 34. 
34, 35, and then 37. And at the end of the days, he'd been out in the field now for seven, we're not told it was seven months, seven weeks, seven years or what, but seven. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returneth unto me. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him. He's talking about Jehovah God, that liveth forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? Verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are truth and his ways justice. And those that walk in pride he is able to abase like Nebuchadnezzar could have added myself. God in his sovereignty changes things. Well, we'll not mention some other examples. Uh, we'll move on. So, we find that these three young men, Daniel, Shadrach, and Abednego, were selected to be trained to become counselors for the king and state affairs for Hebrew young people. Now, we're not told how old they are, but they're described as young. Daniel was still around 70 years later when Babylon fell to the Medes. They were given names. Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were their Chaldean names. The Hebrew names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and Daniel. Of course, Daniel's name was changed to Belteshazzar. I mean, yes, Belteshazzar. So they were given Chaldean names, and these kind of names contained titles of their deities, their heathen gods. They could change their names but they could not change their character. Their godly character and the godly principles by which they lived. The king appointed the diet, we mentioned this earlier, and this was to be a trial of their faith. Because we read about Daniel, purpose in his heart that he would not defile himself. It wasn't that he didn't like their oatmeal or he didn't like this or that. It was defilement from the food that was provided. He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the food nor with the wine which the king drank. It was contrary. Maybe the food had been offered in idols. Maybe it was unclean according to their law. He wouldn't do it. Young man, just starting off there, captive. I'm not going to do that. But the king had appointed the diet, the diet and so it was a trial of their faith. Daniel purposed not to defile himself. Has there ever been anything worthwhile accomplished without purpose? A young man away from home, Daniel, but he makes a purpose. 
We wish that all could look to Daniel as an example to follow. Young people who are away from home or young people who are still at home. And purpose not to defile themselves. But Daniel said no. His mind was made up. Nothing could alter, alter his decision. He did not meet this crisis by talking about it or by compromising or by postponing a settlement. Daniel made the right start. In a race or in life or any new circumstance in life, a great deal depends upon how one starts. Daniel started right and kept right to the end. I think young people who go off to college or university or wherever and they leave home, get out of high school, a lot of their success is going to depend upon what they purpose to accomplish. Some people go to, uh, go to school, young people, and they're going to socialize. I mean, they're going to have a big time. Uh, young people, uh, the young ladies have been said, well, they're, they're looking for an MRS degree. I mean, they're just out for a good husband, which is fine. <laughs> they're about that age when they do that. <clears throat> On the other hand, the men shouldn't be there just looking for a wife. They're there to study and to learn something. Oh, that should go for any age. Daniel made the right start. If, like Solomon, a young person were given the chance to ask God for a special gift, he should ask for the ability to say no. Daniel could say no courteously, and yet loudly and firmly that they understood what he meant by it. It was the historian Plutarch who tells about some inhabitants in Asia who became subjects and vassals to another country because they could not say no. And so we find today, people become slaves and vassals in life to circumstances and passions because they're unable to say no. Only one syllable, no. But sometimes it's very hard to pronounce. This world went wrong in the beginning, with the beginning first inhabitants, Adam and Eve because they could not say no to the devil. And it has been going wrong on the same principle ever since. The devil, in offering Daniel this proposition to defile himself for honor, for position in the king's court, probably approached Daniel with many thoughts. For example, Daniel... You are far from home. No one will see you, and the home folks will never learn about it. Just go on. Or, Daniel, there is honor in this. Think about the king. But he put God before the honor and the office. Or, Daniel, when in Babylon, do as the Babylonians do. 
We've all heard the expression when in Rome do as the Romans do. It's the custom here. That seems like that makes it right if it's a custom. But men today are slaves to custom. Custom causes some people to drink just to be with the crowd, to be accepted. Custom makes women feel at ease, indecently clothed, immodestly appareled. Custom. But Daniel said no. And this answer has been heard clear across the centuries. It's been heard all over the earth and in heaven. In chapter 1 and verse 10, when Daniel resolved not to defile himself, he spoke to the chief of the eunuchs who was in charge of this. And you know how he responded? This eunuch said, I fear my lord the king. It's his directions. We're to follow and tell, do what he tells us to do. So the officer feared his lord, the king, while Daniel of God made a noble fight and was victorious. For this and other triumphs, God richly blessed Daniel, one of the great biblical heroes for us to follow. We'll pause. We have a song of invitation. We offer this invitation to accommodate anyone who needs to do obey the gospel, come forward, or whatever one's need might be that we could assist in. And if you're subject to that invitation call, would you come as together we stand and sing?